Hello and welcome to The Graduates, a radio show dedicated to graduate student research here at Berkeley. My name is Stephanie Gerson. I'm a graduate student myself, and I'll be your hostess for the show here on KALX Berkeley. So today I'm talking to Larissa Mann, a PhD student in the Jurisprudence and Social Policy Program at Bolt Law School. So welcome, Larissa. Thanks. Um, we're going to be talking about her work on creativity and copyright laws. Um, and I understand you haven't done your field research yet, but can you uh, briefly introduce us to your interests and your research plan? Sure. Um, so I'm interested in the relationship between the assumptions that copyright law sort of has in it because of the way it's set up, the things it rewards and the things that it punishes, um, about what creativity is and the relationship between that and what people actually do. Uh, because there's a lot of cases I think most people uh, nowadays would feel that they sort of are running up against copyright law. People aren't sure what's happening when they're creating as well as when they're listening or playing or downloading music. And in the creative process, I think that's a really interesting set of questions to be having to think about. And then the other side is that the laws are sort of passed and changed with arguments about how it's supposed to help and reward creativity and encourage creativity. And there isn't a really good way to, be, for, to understand whether how we would know if that's happening or mm. what it would mean for it to be happening. We just have sort of anecdotes on different sides saying, no, this is hurting creativity, no, this is helping creativity. So I thought, well, it would be cool to go look at what people actually do when they are creating and think about how that relates to what the law seems to be focused on, mm -hmm. uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I chose a case study uh, for my dissertation of Jamaican music uh, and Jamaican musicians for several reasons. I think Jamaica is a really interesting example of uh, people's creative practices sort of running up against copyright law. So I decided to take my research there. And so I've been doing research at Berkeley on the sort of paper side of it, what the laws say, what the different theories about copyright are, uh, the different international arguments for why laws should be the way they are. And then what I'm going to do in Jamaica is spend seven months living there and just sort of interacting with people and spending time in the studio, observing what's happening and interviewing artists and producers and anyone else uh, that I can find who wants to talk to me about it. Um, and sort of the combination of interviewing and observing will hopefully give me a sense uh, once I come back and analyze it of what people actually do and how they think of law or don't when they do it. Okay, so let's start with a little bit more background on Jamaica. How have the attitudes towards copyrights in Jamaica changed recently? Okay, uh, well, to start with, um, so international copyright law is interesting because, uh, of course, different countries may have different rules about a lot of things, but for trade purposes, there's a lot of pressure to harmonize because mm -hmm. if you want to deal with other countries, you want to make sure you have some similar rules. And so there's a series of international treaties that different nations have signed on to over time. Uh, the most recent big one uh, is the treaty that you sign on to for uh, joining the World Trade Organization. And with Jamaica, this happened in 93. Uh, the Re World Trade Organization has something called the Trade-Related Aspects of Intellectual Property Law, the <laughs> TRIPS Agreement, uh, copyright being a subset of intellectual property. Uh, and if you join the World Trade Organization, which, of course, a lot of countries want to do, uh, you have to agree to harmonize your copyright law uh, among other things, at a sort of basic level, there's a minimum standard of enforcement. Uh, and 
this is brought about by something called the World Intellectual Property Organization, who thinks that uh, every country should pretty much have a similar framework for copyright law in order for trade to happen, and also because they have a vision of how copyright law in a particular form helps economies grow. Mm. And so this isn't like a horrible idea. On one level, it makes a lot of sense. But the problem is copyright law is about assigning rules of use and rules of access to creative products, to culture, to communication. Uh, and there isn't really any historical reason why you would assume countries would have the same attitudes about these things. Mm -hmm. And so just because you set up a law to look the same everywhere doesn't mean people are going to relate to it the same everywhere. Mm -hmm. And in fact, treating culture as a trade matter is also sort of problematic. There are a lot of reasons why you might want to think about what, what people are doing when they make music or art uh, as something other than trade, a trade issue. And that might mean you want to think differently about the rules you have about what people are allowed to do. Uh-huh. So in your research outline, you describe how musicians think that lack of copyright enforcement is the reason why they're not being sufficiently remunerated for their music. So what do you think? Well, it's it's interesting. So um, the other side, you asked before about attitudes towards, yeah. towards copyright law, and I think a lot of... Um, a lot of the assumptions that are in copyright law about uh, individual artist makes work that is going to be sold. They are the owner of that work, um, and they have certain rights over it. it. hasn't ever really been true in the Jamaican context in a lot of ways. That is, that's not how people think necessarily about creation or about what kind of rights they have. Uh, the practices in Jamaica have been uh, sometimes individual, sometimes collaborative, and uh, also sort of a sense of sharing different aspects of the music. So I might make a bass line and a drum, a drum line, and then 600 artists will record vocals on top of it. Mm -hmm. So there isn't a sense that I have the right to stop those people from doing it. But mm -hmm. in copyright law, generally, it's assumed that you would, or at least you, they would have to come to you for permission. Mm -hmm. And so um, these kind of assumptions are pretty far from what copyright law has said. And at the same time, you've had this huge boom in the Jamaican music industry in the 70s and 80s that brought reggae to the world. And in the process of that, a lot of people got ripped off. Mm. And so part of the international arguments for copyright law are, look, it assigns rights to artists. Right. This is going to prevent you from getting ripped off. And Jamaican artists have a really strong sense of being ripped off, and rightfully so. And so they, they now there isn't some argument within, as far as I can tell, I mean, this is part of what I'll find out more once I uh -huh, get there. Uh -huh. um, you know, there are Jamaican artist organizations who are arguing for copyright law enforcement. There's also a huge push from above, from right. the World Trade Organization, that says the same thing. It says you won't get ripped off if you have uh, these laws. I'm not sure that's the case because I don't see American artists as having had a huge advantage um, because they technically own their copyrights. That uh -huh. is the vast majority of American artists don't make money off their copyrights, they don't have enough power in relation to record label. So I think focusing on the copyrights is this sort of fantasy about sort of law being this neutral force that everyone can, can draw on equally and you mm -hmm. can, the little guy can use it against the big guy. Uh, and that does happen, but not that often. Mm -hmm. And so the power issue, I think, is probably more the, the problem. So I'm not sure copyright will solve the problem, right. <laughs> although right. it does relate. Okay, well still, why is there such a lack of copyright enforcement? It's It's hard to say. I mean, in the Jamaican context, um, depending on how you argue, uh, it's clear, I think, that a lot of people aren't complying with copyright law in the way that it's uh, in the way that it's framed. That is, that people 
create uh, drawing on a huge history of Jamaican music that means sampling or referring or repeating to it, and that's not necessarily licensed. Uh, and they also draw on pop culture. Um, but of course, you know, you can do it legally. You can do the same things and have it be legal if you can just mm -hmm. find the people you're supposed to pay. Uh -huh. And so the, the, that just sort of makes a threshold for a lot of people of, that they can't, yeah. they can't jump. But at the same time, I mean, Jamaica's a really poor country, and if the idea that people would pay 15 American dollars for a CD is just kind of ludicrous. Like, it's not going to happen. They don't have that money. Mm -hmm. So it wouldn't, you know, the effect of, on Jamaica of complying fully with the law and spending, for example, the amount of money on enforcement that they would have to mm -hmm. do to make everyone comply would, I mean, it would be impossible, yeah, because yeah. it would just turn everything upside down. And I just, people would stop listening to music, supposedly. You know, I, mean, I don't know what they would do, but it, it just isn't very realistic. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of a sign to me that there's a big gap between mm. what the law says mm -hmm. and what people are doing. He says there's no way for it to be really seriously enforced. I'm talking about the Jamaican example, but mm -hmm. I think you can, you can find that to be true, I think, in most developing countries. Okay. Um, huge bootleg, uh, and you know, or uh, huge bootleg trades. Okay, so I know you talked about this a little bit, but why Jamaica? Uh, there's two reasons, and one is um, based on the knowledge that I do have of Jamaican music, which partly comes from being a DJ myself and DJing Jamaican music, among other things. Uh, there's a lot that seems really dramatically different, again, like I said, uh, to the concept sort of embedded in copyright law. That is, a lot of Jamaican music is about repetition and reference to earlier music or to other music, it's very sort of networked music. Um, and, you know, there's a sort of excitement um, and a recognition that people listening to it have that partly comes from connecting with the familiar. But meanwhile, copyright law sort of rewards what they call originality, which usually means not like other things. Mm -hmm. uh, and so Jamaica, I think, is a sort of extreme example of a lot of that kind of stuff. So I think it's interesting that they're being sort of asked to harmonize with a system that has sort of grown up in a completely different context. And that's the other thing that is interesting to me is um, the issue of developing countries being required to comply with the World Trade Organization's vision of what copyright law should look like. Uh, the argument the World Intellectual Property Organization used to make was uh, no country's music industry will develop unless you have this set of rules, which is even weirder because even America didn't have that set of rules when it was developing. Uh -huh. In fact, no country had the, the legal system it has now that it did when it was developing, so uh -huh. it doesn't make any sense. Uh -huh. America didn't even protect sound recordings under copyright law until 1976, wow. and yet somehow we managed to have the music industry. I mean, whether it was fairer or less fair, or that's a whole other set of questions, but right. it's certainly silly to say, uh, you know, that it's not going to happen. I guess on the surface, it's it's ironic that that musicians complain that they're not getting enough money because of lack of enforcement of copyrights. Meanwhile, they're going around breaching the copyrights, but that's because, you know, from the level that you're at, there's a tension between obviously the individually oriented copyrights and then the mm -hmm. more collective oriented uh, mm -hmm. way that they engage in their creative process, um, which is precisely what makes Jamaican music Jamaican music in a way is, is all that mixing and sampling. Yeah, and it's a major aspect of it. So for those of you who are just joining us, I'm talking to Larissa Mann about creativity and copyrights. So you make the point that while copyrights reward musicians for what they've already made, it isn't as clear how they affect 
something that's in the process of being made. So how do you understand the effect of copyrights on the creative process? Do you have a hypothesis that you're working with? Um, I'm not, not exactly. And this goes back partly to the methodology of ethnography where and grounded theory, where you go and you try not to impose a, a, a sort of vision of what's happening uh, on things that you observe and instead first try to observe as much as you can and then get get a sort of theory from the data. I mean, my hypothesis is that people are not doing what copyright law sort of frames as the normal way to create. Uh, but beyond that, uh, I think it's unclear. I'm not sure what's going to happen <laughs> once I once I get there. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, but you, you're clearly moving forward with the assumption or the idea that there's an interaction, there's yeah. some kind of complex interaction between copyright laws and the creative process and and in Jamaica and, and elsewhere, although in Jamaica mm -hmm. it sounds like it's pretty pronounced, there's really a tension there. So do you have, I, I know if you haven't even come up with how you understand this interaction, this might not be a fair question to ask, but do you have ideas of what a copyright system that might work? I mean, you described the way that they produce, I think you used the word network. Mm -hmm. Do you have an idea for some kind of copyright network system mm -hmm. that would work in a place like Jamaica? I. I don't. I mean, I'm interested in uh, the different sort of frameworks and arguments around copyright that are going on right now uh, to sort of open up the debate. So the Creative Commons movement... Can you first explain what Creative Commons is? Yeah, so it's a kind of license that, re again, relies on copyright, so it doesn't undermine copyright, but it says, look, as an artist, you automatically own copyrights of works that you make, uh, so then you can say, I will license it under a Creative Commons license uh, to allow people to, for example, uh, reuse, reuse sections of my song that I made uh, for non-commercial purposes. So it's an interesting idea because it's sort of a way to signal to people so that they, when they get an, a piece of work that they want to use, they get a song and they want to use a sample from it, they already know what the artist wants them to mm -hmm. do. Um, it's limited in that, you know, there's a lot of times when, uh, first of all, you're still assuming that you know who the creator is, and it's sort of still a kind of individualistic idea about mm -hmm. creativity. And uh, it also, you know, a lot of people make music and don't ask permission for remixing, uh, and maybe they should or maybe they shouldn't, but it's a, a common practice to not ask, and... Uh, sometimes some really good music is made out of that as a DJ, I have mm -hmm. to say. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. It's not like I can tell whether they ask permission or not uh, when I get the song. And it, huh. you know, So sort of from the point of view of encouraging creativity in music, I'm not sure what it, what it does. But it is a way to sort of try to stick, keep people in line with a law in a more humane way. So that's a nice thing to think about being possible in Jamaica as well. Um, but it's a bit redundant because I think most people do that. Most people remix and sample without permission anyway. So yeah. it's sort of a, a, a ha like a, a quarter step in that it's trying to create a space where people can be legal. Yeah. Is Creative Commons, is that international? Yeah. Uh, do people use it in Jamaica? Do musicians use it in Jamaica? I knew a few when I, I was there last summer for a short time, and I, I knew a few people who were doing it, who were using it. Uh, there have been some Creative Commons sort of advocates who have gone to Jamaica and tried to convince people that it's a good idea. And people that I talked to had sort of experimented with, oh, okay, well, I'll release one or two songs and see see what happens. But it's an interesting thing because, uh, again, it's not really 
it's hard to, to bring it to artists because it's not really about music. It's yeah. about compliance with law. Yeah. And that's not something that's first on everybody's minds is how can I be in compliance with copyright? Yeah, so. but and if it's international, who enforces it? Well, that's the other interesting part of Creative Commons is that uh, it, it it's voluntary. I mean, it, it falls under copyright. So, it, you know, copyright law is what gives you the authority to say what you want or don't want with your music. And as far as I know, it, it hasn't yet been brought to court. So I don't know any cases where someone has sued someone over violating a Creative Commons license. Mm. One, one can hope that it, they would win. But mm-hmm. it, as far as I know, it hasn't been tested yet. So that's that's another interesting mm-hmm. um, moment. So I don't know. I mean, I don't think that's a framework for how Jamaica should go, but it's a sort of experiment in that in that direction. Um, and I, I, yeah, I don't know that I could say exactly what I think sh- it should look like. Uh, I mean, some of the projects that I'm involved in here are around reforming cop- American copyright law, uh-huh. and I think a lot of those changes would be beneficial in Jamaica as well. So things about sort of shortening the length of time that uh, the copyright owner has control over it back to a more sane level rather uh-huh. than the ridiculous level that it's at now. And One I'll million <laughs> years. Basically, you know, whatever, whenever it is that Disney's copyrights will expire. <laughs> what is the longest living copyright, I wonder? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it seems like that one's pretty far. Well, there are some, not under copyright law, there are some perpetual protections, which is uh, all even... Infinity. Which I, yeah, which is really sad. But yeah. um, So what other features? So, like, a, one that would be really relevant is one of the sort of rights under copyright, American copyright law, is the derivative work right, which is this basically deals especially with things like sampling. So if I own my copyrights in America and you want to sample a song of mine to make another song, you have to get permission because you're making what's called a derivative work of my work. Even if you're sampling, you know, 200 different artists, you have to get all our permissions because your work is under law, generally assumed to be a derivative work sort of collectively of all of those works, um, mm-hmm. which already, yeah. I think, shows the word derivative. You know, usually that's kind of an insult. Like, it's like it's not very original. But if you're sampling 200 artists, that's, I don't know, that seems like already you're putting some work into it. Mm. That's, that might be um, worth valuing. But anyway, this the copyright reform project that um, Professor Pam Samuelson is, is doing, uh, she's in the law school here, uh, is about, uh, one of the questions is about derivative works and whether we should maybe narrow this this power that artists have to control what happens to their work once they release it into the public. And so, you know, some people say that there maybe there shouldn't be one at all, you know, or, you know, that if someone makes a complete copy, maybe that should be something that an artist could sue over, but not if they use sections of it. Um, and those kind of things, it seems to me, would be really relative, relevant to Jamaica. If you wanted mm. to harmonize the law with what people are actually doing to mm-hmm. some extent, that would be one I would think of. Mm. Um, I mean, it's hard to say also for Jamaica because Jamaica as a developing country uh, with not a very powerful legal infrastructure for anything. I mean, they Mm -hmm. have the highest murder rate in the Western Hemisphere. You know, so, I mean, I'm interested in what people do. Compliance with law is sort of a broader issue Mm -hmm. (laughs) in Jamaica. And I can't really say that I think the Jamaican government should be spending all of its energy on the copyright issue. Mm -hmm. I think... Fighting it actually at the international level is probably more important to sort of keep the the kind of organized, mm-hmm. developed world and corporate interests kind of off the backs of developing countries. I think that's really mm. important. Um, but I, this is something that I think Jama- the Jamaican government and the Jamaican people are going to have to hash out. And mm-hmm. part of what I would like to do, uh, sort of ideally, is 
create some of a vocabulary for people who are mm. uh, arguing against the assumptions in copyright law or yeah. help you know bring out the vocabulary perhaps that's already there about those things because it's hard to argue against those kind of arguments about artist rights if you don't think about um, the other kinds of rights, the community rights, or the way that artists are social, sort of social beings and social networks in themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, and so part of what I want to do is contribute to that dialogue. Yeah. Uh, but I can't say more than that really yeah. about what it should look like. Okay. Well, okay, we'll have it another unfair question then. <laughs> so do you think that thinking about the interaction between copyright laws and, and the creative process, do you think that um, a copyright system that was a, a, appropriate to Jamaica would that do you feel like that would enhance creativity? Would you, do you think you'd even would you be able to hear it in the music? Yeah, that, no, that's a great question because that's sort of the argument uh, on both sides, but on the other side too about why we should or shouldn't, um, you know, change copyright law is like, well, can you prove what the harm is? Like, what's the harm now? What's what's really going wrong? And most of the harms that you can point to, I think, are more like fairness issues of like why you know why do certain people get punished and not other people for doing what is you know, and that just seems unfair. Um, it's hard to say music is stunted or 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 you know flourishing because of law. I can just hear law. them their music. Their you copyright know. laws are <laughs> terrible. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I mean, you can see the effect of copyright law on music. I mean, this is why in America, um, hip hop bands' first albums are often really dense with lots of layers and samples and really exciting, and then their next album is super minimal <laughs> or why, all sympathized why, because the... of all the lawsuits from the first album. This is wow. like. Paul's boutique. That's so interesting. Effect, right? So uh, I mean, always catch them on their first album. <laughs> you know, but, but well, I mean, what's interesting, right, is I'm not going to say that the second albums are bad mm -hmm. necessarily. I mean, I happen to like the really dense stuff mm -hmm. a lot of the time, but mm. you know, I mean, lots of people like the other sound, but mm. you can, I think that you can hear that a lot yeah. of times in, you know, in, in uh, how people create. You know, that's one of those balances, I guess, that that law is supposed to be about is other people's rights and your rights. But I think other people here includes a sort of larger concern about how art should flourish mm -hmm. um but yeah i can't i can't point to like a, a specific harm except these sort of fairness harms and, and that's part of it for me is that i i really get irritated at the language uh applied to people who violate copyright law because it's not theft and it's not uh you know it's not a criminal it shouldn't be and um, it is criminal technically but it, it shouldn't be i think on the same par with things that damage society because i don't think that property rights are inherent the, the form of property rights that we have now is some kind of essential societal, hmm. like, defining thing. I think, you know, property rights are always flexible and have always been flexible and especially in practice have been mm -hmm. flexible. So, And especially now, it seems like they need to be flexible. The first week of this show, I interviewed Laura Gregg in the art, an MFA student mm -hmm. who is doing... Um, She's building an, a web-enabled paintball gun, or she already built it. But essentially, people get onto her website, people from anywhere all over oh, the wow. world, and they shoot this gun at a canvas in her studio. So we were talking about, okay, so if the painting sells for a million dollars, who gets the money? Or yeah, th this question, question of distributed authorship, mm -hmm. right, which yeah. can be a paintball painting or Jamaican music or yeah. an entry on Wikipedia. I mean, who do you? how do you... How do you develop a, a, a copyright system mm -hmm. or some kind of system for when when the author is essentially a distributed yeah. population of people? So do you feel like whatever you learn in Jamaica will be applicable elsewhere? I hope so, especially in that um, in the legal world, there really is no model of creativity. There's no vision. Like there's sort of this general idea that, well, we reward we reward creators through royalties, and that somehow makes them create or helps them create. 
but beyond that, there isn't any sort of sense in the law of like, so does that mean uh, more real royalties equals more creation or less mm -hmm. royalties equals less creation? There's no real like vision of what it actually looks like. So by trying to sort of model it a little bit, some of the what mm. I think are the key issues in Jamaica, it's a, it's at least comparative. We can say, well, you know, what would be what's similar, what's different mm -hmm. in America or elsewhere? You know, I'm I'm not. I'm sure there's some aspects of creativity that are universal, and there's some aspects that are culturally shaped in lots of exciting ways. So I wouldn't know which those were. But the idea that we don't have a model at all right now means that kind of it's it's nice to be able to just take the first step. And then from there, I hope, in, you know, after I get my Ph.D. and go on, <laughs> um, whenever that happens, uh, <laughs> to, to maybe do a comparative project. Maybe we'll have you on the show again in three years to tell us how it's going. Totally. Hopefully. <laughs> Heard <I've graduated>. eight, <laughs> 12? <laughs> yeah. The life's work. But yeah, I mean, I, I hope it will be applicable else, elsewhere, at least through uh, comparison. All right. So we will be right back. So on next week's show, I'll be talking to Russ McBride, a PhD student in the philosophy department, about how artificial intelligence should be done. So please join me for the graduates every Monday from 12 to 12.30 on CalEx. And please also visit our newly minted Facebook page. Search for The Graduates K-A-L-X on Facebook.com. Uh, you can become a fan. You can write on the walls. You can check the guests of future shows or suggest yourself as a future guest. So don't be shy. That's The Graduates K-A-L-X. Just search for that in quotation marks on Facebook. Hey, welcome back. Today I'm talking to Larissa Mann from Bolt about creativity and copyright laws. So I wanted to know a little bit about how you're incorporating your personal experience as a DJ into your research, and I know that part of that is through a website that you're building. So can you describe it a little? Sure. That's part of my plan uh, for... Uh, this was especially because I um, applied for a particular scholarship uh, through f the Fulbright Foundation and MTV collaboratively, oh, wow. and uh, which I, I don't know yet if I've gotten it, but w what that started uh, me thinking about was they're really interested in having some kind of public face for your research that connects back to the the, the rest of the world and to the music yeah. scene. And I already have a blog and do a lot of stuff online that makes what I'm doing public, but I thought it would be great to also try to collect recordings while I'm there um, and sort of out of respect for artists uh, and the people there, uh, I want to, you know, make sure that I have some permission from them right. to release them under a Creative Commons license. But the idea is to make all those samples available for remixing. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was thinking of it because I've already had all of my other friends who are music producers be like, so when you go to Jamaica, you know, can I, like... Can you bring me back some, you know, some acapellas mm -hmm. or some, you know, can can I have some music, basically? And that's normally what uh, the scene I'm part of does, is we share bits and pieces as well as whole songs a mm -hmm. whole lot. So I thought, well, hey, that would be really great. And then I was like, well, why, you know, why limit it to just the people I know? It'd be great to put it online and have yeah. as many people as possible. Do you have a <laughs> URL yet? I don't. Um, w when I do, it will be linked from my own blog, which is... Uh, djripley.blogspot.com djripley.blogspot.com So to end with, I asked you to bring some music that we're not going to get into any trouble with. So what, what are we going to listen to? Well, I made a mix CD that came out in 2005 on a label called Death Sucker, <laughs> which is a uh, label out of England. Uh, and 
I compiled a lot of different music together and layered it as densely as I could uh, live with, with turntables. Uh, and I thought I'd play a selection um, of the blending part, a section that used a really gorgeous song by a Jamaican artist, Derek Harriet, and uh, then I mix it into this really interesting uh, record that I bought in an English record store that had almost no information on the label, uh, and probably, uh, you know, they didn't clear any of those <laughs> samples. And so, uh, and so this is a really example of also how um, copyright law is affecting <laughs> music. And that, you know, I couldn't I couldn't credit this even if I wanted to mm. because I don't actually know because they couldn't tell me. a pleasure talking to you, Larissa. And if you'd like to hear Larissa play, formerly unbeknownst to me, she actually plays with one of the graduates I interviewed a few weeks back, Matt Earp. And you can hear them both at Surya Dub, a monthly party at Club 6. You've been listening to The Graduates here on KALX Berkeley. My name is Stephanie Gerson. Please visit us on Facebook, The Graduates Calex in quotation marks, and join me next Monday from 12 to 12.30.